Welcome to Trail and Error, a look at the trail running world from the podium to the pack with your hosts Jay Grady and Tristan Stevenson. We decided to start our own trail running podcast to talk to the people we find interesting in the trail and ultra running world, to find out their highs and lows, their momentous successes and their abject failures, and to perhaps give us all a little bit of inspiration to take on some adventures and challenges of our own. We'll be speaking to runners and athletes, race directors and coaches, sports nutritionists and doctors to get the best out of our own running and hopefully yours too. We hope you enjoy the podcast and if you do, please hit like and subscribe via all the normal podcast feeds. But for now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to another episode of Trail and Error. This week, Tris and I are joined by Matt Wyman. Runner, ultra runner, author, artist. Does that cover your resume? Your, 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 there's other bits to your life, obviously, but yeah, I probably can't cover all of those. But yeah, does that about cover it, Matt? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'll do. <laughs> well, yeah, Husband, you have to put it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thanks Not for joining us. My resume, really, although I wouldn't yet call myself an artist. I don't know. You, you're, you're smacking out some works of art there, mate. You're doing all right? Well, I certainly, I don't sell them, that's for sure. Well, I won't uh, buy one, that that's for but, sure. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> but they look good. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Matt, we met um, on the Arc of Attrition in 2022. Uh, we teamed up to get through yeah, the Newland cool. nightlife scene, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. And then we found my wife well, they and yelled at you standing you on a street corner after dark, I think. You did try to get past them, <laughs> but, the, but they snagged you. Yeah. <laughs> You're in such yeah, a great time. Me. They were standing on a street corner in Newland, were they? In the dark. Well, I know. Jay, Jay had told me that probably wasn't the best place to be standing. Uh, <laughs> um, it worked, though. It worked. Um, and you had to uh, pull that year due to yeah. nausea, yeah. which is a subject close to my heart on the arc. Um, but you, you <laughs> dusted yourself off. You, you got your, your running shoes and your waterproofs back on and, uh, and you came in and completed it this year. I did. I did. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely one of those sort of unfinished business kind of races because I'd really loved it. And I was gutted that I'd had to pull out. Um, cause I wanted to see the rest of it really. I wanted to, you know, experience it all and, and get around. So it was definitely, it was sort of, I st- it started the timer ticking, you know, for the, for the next 12 months, I really wanted to get back and, mm. and do it. Definitely gets under your skin. I think that race. Any intent? Yeah. So you will start again. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, have you got any intentions of doing the arc of attrition again or is now it's sort of done? Uh, no, don't, no, thank no you. that one I think was definitely done. I, I live in West Sussex, which is quite a distance away and, and my wife and daughter kindly came down to crew me twice. But it's quite an ask, uh, and it's a long night. And I've done it once. Yeah. And I kind of also think I'm getting to that age where there's still lots of races that I want to do. And if I keep going back to the same race, I'm not going to do the races that, that I really want to do. Um, yeah. So that's sort of my outlook. I feel like I've ticked it off, thankfully. Yeah. doesn't have so to, what I, think to I, I mean, guess, I did love it, I mean, and I'm I would not, do if I... I've, yeah. I, I've not been doing the sport long enough to kind of probably appreciate this fully, but... I guess there was a time 
10 plus years ago where you might just do your same local race or even not local race, just a race you like over and over again every single year Mm. just because there weren't the sort of preponderance of races out there. Whereas now, you you know, it's just, there's just so many different races, um, both locally, nationally, internationally, that it's like kid in a candy shop. And I guess, you know, it is like, oh, well, you know, I can maybe fit in three it depends on the person of course three races a year let's say where i can put a really good effort in some people might do more um and i've maybe got however many years of this sort of quality you know running left so you've got to kind of pick your battles haven't you otherwise you're going to find you're like just not able to get around these races in the way that you want to uh i think so future Uh, i mean i think the one reason that i would go back to a race is if i have dnf'd it I kind of, I, mm. I don't really sort of walk away and think, well, I never want to do that again. <clears throat> At the same time, I don't think I'd be banging my head against the wall constantly if I was constantly DNFing the same race. So if I'd have gone back to ARC and and not completed it a second time, I might have had a rethink about going a third time and a long conversation with my wife about whether or not she'd be prepared to come and crew me for a third year running. So thank goodness I got it, got it would done. You, would you think about coming back and Well, being- Jay kept bra- banging that head against that brick wall. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's easy, it's easily done. You start getting into that. I've got to do this. It can't. I can't let it beat me, kind of thing. Um, but I just, I just think I've, you know, I'm fifty four. I've only got so many years left to take on the, you know, the big races that I really want to do. Do I want to spend eight years, you know, constantly trying the same race, or going? Even if I finished it, going back to the same race again and again. And I, you're absolutely right, Tris. I've done it a lot. You know, there are some races that I really love going back to probably still will a little bit but i just trying to make sure that i can create time to do the races that i really want to do so what's next then what are you thinking Got what am i doing next what are you thinking? um yeah. well i've i've got the dragons back this year um which i was in two minds about i i took on the dragons back in 2021 which was the hot year the 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 year that famously 367 runners started and I think about 90 finished. Um, and I was, I was very much in two minds about going back to that one. Um, because it's a huge commitment, you know, it's, it's kind of a year long preparation if, if you, you know, really put your mind to it. And, um, yeah, the, the commitment issues were, were huge, but also I needed to sort of learn, work out what lessons I could learn from having not completed it the first time. So I wanted to watch it last year, just dot watched. And there were people on the race that I knew. So I sort of knew what they were capable of. And it was, you know, decent weather, you know, it wasn't too extreme. Um, And then decided, well, you know, I reckon I've got as good a shot as I thought I had Um, the first time around. It's just the first time around it was, you know, 32 degrees or whatever. And, uh, you know, everyone incinerated on, on day one and two. So you just have to hope that doesn't happen again. That's the thing, though, isn't it? It's it's if it's a, a weather dependent issue, um, it's in the lap of the gods. Really, it it could definitely happen again. So, have you, you know, what are the strategies for you? Uh, I mean, we can get into to Dragon's Back big time. You wrote a, a, a wonderful book, by the way, um, called "Failure Is an Option," uh, and and that details uh, your 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 running journey and and your 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 prep for the Dragon's Back as well and and the, and the race. And then if anybody wants to find out more details, I, I definitely recommend having, having a read. It's a good book. Um, but yeah, it's, um, 
it is in the lap of the gods in terms of weather. So in, in, in terms of what you learned from that, how would you um, change your approach for, for hot weather races? Did you, did you learn a lot from Dragon's Back that you could take to other races as well? Yeah, I did. I mean, I came away from it. It's very easy, I think, to come away from a race that you didn't finish going, well, you know, if it hadn't been hot, I would have smashed it or or whatever. But I kind of, I think it's really important to take responsibility for your own setbacks and uh, sort of having looked back at the race and sort of let my sort of thoughts about it um, settle. I think I had, I had trained properly to run it in perfect conditions. Um, and had the weather been, you know, like a computer simulation, I would have been fine, <clears throat> but it wasn't. And that, that's on me to have not actually, I mean, who knew it was going to be the hottest day in Wales since 1942, you know, mm. nobody, um, <clears throat> but, but it was, and, but it was on me to have taken steps to have, have made sure that I could cope with that. And, and I didn't, and I cooked on day one along with, along with most people and, um, you know, got into a mess before the halfway stage the halfway point of the day got through day one by the skin of my teeth but i was cooked mm. by the second so i started day two massively dehydrated basically i woke up the raging thirst thinking well that's that's not good um and, and so most people so what I, steps either could you left on day or one, should you have taken do you think um i i possibly would have carried more water because you really do have to be responsible for your own uh, water sources and on day one there isn't that many it's not like from sort of day two onwards where you can you know dip your heads in streams and all that sort of stuff there's, there's not a lot it's um it's pretty barren and you know a lot of you know stony ridges rocky ridges um so i, I was carrying three bowls i think and I, I remember at one point i ran out thinking well i'll be all right for whatever it was to, to get to the a station but it's probably about an hour and that's enough mm. you know it's enough it's enough to, to to get you behind and um as, as soon as something comes undone like that it's just a you know it's like a domino effect isn't it everything else starts to go you start losing your losing your appetite you're not getting enough down and then and, you know it just goes from, from bad to worse um so I, i'd like to have said i would have slowed down a bit but i think the thing that i discovered about the dragon's back is that the cutoffs are very tight and very unforgiving um there really isn't any 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 much meat on the bone there you just um you have to sort of relentlessly push on i hadn't really come to appreciate that until race day and it was it's they're all doable but it's hard and it's so when you're doing it in sort of 32 degrees it's really difficult because you just want to stop and you just want to take a break or just, you know, walk it a bit or, or, or whatever, but there, there was no opportunity to do that. And I hadn't quite appreciated that I needed to be ready to do that. Am I, am I filling you both with like the fear of God now before <laughs> seeing that you guys are doing the race this year? It's just more problems to solve, isn't it? Um, I think the, we spoke to uh, Paddy Mitten, uh, came on the podcast, uh, an expert in uh, terrestrial extremes, and he spoke at length about the effects of altitude uh, and how much um, mm. being on those mountains can increase your requirement for water and hydration. So that's kind of front and center. Mm. Um, I, I tend to run with a minimum of four soft flasks on me, um, especially mm. when in the summer anyway, to make sure that I've, I've got ample. I al always run with um, a filter soft flask in the summer as well. Um, you know, as long as there's not too much farming going on around mm. you, you can top up from streams and such when you find them, if you find them. 
but um it's just kind of mm. measuring that um the output and, and and being able to you know endure long long stretches at a fairly high you know turnover rate but being conditioned for that i think that's been part of the stuff that i've learned on the mountain races over the last couple of years is is how important hydration is uh to being able to turn the legs over and keep moving like you said for those aggressive cutoffs where you don't have a choice of backing off mm. you've got to feed the system haven't you so salt tablets hydration yeah. keeping yeah. the sun off the skin as well that's that's again we touched on that from my last race in the canyons trish runs very hot so he tends mm. to um well you running in sort of vest tops and, and a hat sometimes don't you mate but it's i i tend to because i'm more scandinavian as possible looking, as little as possible yeah you, short shorts and and, and, a, and a mankini top and, and you're away yeah straight shorts um <laughs> nipple tassels yeah i mean that's my chance <laughs> my uh preferred top <laughs> for the breeze it's great it's a sort of fanning effect that works really well and you can so. see which direction the wind's blowing as well which is awesome <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Josh, you got it now. You'll be fine. <laughs> but they dropped the cutoffs back as well from from the year that you did it, because um, our friend Ferg did it that year, um, and he was he messaged me yeah. uh, when he heard I was doing it, saying, you know, the, the cutoffs have actually relaxed a little since since that race, um, not much, but a little. I think they added an hour after 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 the edition that I ran. They added an hour mm. to day one. Um, I remember coming off off the mountains at, at the end of day one, and I. I just made it. I think about had, had about half an hour to go. I remember turning around, having hit this sort of country lane at the bottom of the mountain, and looking up, and there was just this this chain oh. of lights running all along the horseshoe, yeah. and none of them were going to make it. You know, there was absolutely, and it was kind of mm. heartbreaking, really, because it was a, such yeah. a long day. It was like sixteen hours um, to get that close, and then to be to be taken out by cutoffs must have been heartbreaking. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough race. I mean, you know, they don't undersell it. It, it really is a so, tough race. Kind of touching on for, for two newbies and, and, and for a lot of listeners that are intrigued by it. Can you just run us through um, the, the, the lead up to the race for you? Sort of the, 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 the 48 hours before, what, what do they look like? You're, you're traveling up to Wales. Did, did, we're, we're, we're both intending at the moment of, of jumping on the, the coach up from, from Cardiff. Um, and then, you know, the night before mm. the prep and, and then kind of touching on also probably the first day and, and, and second night in, in camp and what they were like for you. What was that experience? Mm. Well, I mean, first of all, it's probably quite important to say I'm a massive amateur. You know, I'm not a professional runner. I'm very much a mid-pack enthusiast and signing up to something like the dragon's back was massively out of my comfort zone. And I possibly the biggest obstacle that I faced in the entire experience was the registration, the sign up form <clears throat> thinking, what am I doing? This is, this is stupid. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure we've all watched the films and heard all about the race. And I was thinking, what, well, you know, it, this is way beyond anything that I think I can do. And, and I just thought, well, I've got a year to, take it seriously and do everything that I can to put myself into contention to complete it. Um, so that, that was sort of a, you know, t almost 12 months back, I suppose. I, I, I in fact, in those days they were, it was every two years. So I think I signed up with about 18 months to go, something like that. So I got my head, it took a long time to get my head around it. And then it's like one of those things where you, there's such a long time to go 
that it doesn't quite seem real. It's a bit like, you know, A-levels or something, I suppose, where, you know, you spend two years studying for it and then suddenly it starts dawning that you're about to do it and it all becomes a bit unreal. So in terms of the 48 hours beforehand, um, I went up with my wife and you, I mean, the whole, the whole operation is very slick. It's, um, you know, Shane's really got it got it nailed and you get to this huge registration area and there are kind of four, 500 terrified people who, you know, you sort of look around and realize that everyone <laughs> is as scared as you are. And, and, you know, obviously there are a few people there who, you know, know exactly what they're doing and they're, you know, focused on the win. Most people, are, you could just look them in the eye and, and you can just tell that. Could you smell it, the fear? Thinking, you know, you can literally smell the fear. It's just people just feel so um, out of their depth. But also there's an awful lot to think about in terms of self-management because you've got to have all your kit for the week. Um, you know, it's a six-day, multi-day event. So, uh, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't done one before. I hadn't done a multi-day event. I've done plenty of sort of endurance runs, but, you know, single-day single events. Um, so that was completely new. And you have... Um, very strict weight limits on on what you can what you can bring and it is tight trying to get everything into your into your bag for the week is difficult and and then you arrive a little bit it's a, it feels a little bit like you're arriving at customs because <laughs> you get a kit check and you think have i got everything is there anything that i've got that's illegal <laughs> have i got any knives <laughs> have i got any aerosols <laughs> all the stuff that you feel maybe you shouldn't have maybe i shouldn't have snuck um, those six bottles of whiskey in <laughs> yeah. <a> small. <laughs> so um and i remember i remember really struggling someone had told me to that it'd be a good idea to get one of those airport uh you know the you know the sort of mobile oh, the scales. Uh, scales that you you yeah you hook your bag yeah. onto it and it weighs it and so and i'd spent ages a couple of days beforehand trying to get mine down under the under the limit and and i got mine weighed and, and it turned out i was way under and i just oh, bought a really no. shonky pair of scales from since <laughs> so i had a little bit of room to room to to breathe um but you have a you you have a, a drop bag, a half day drop bag as well, and that's quite generous. So you can sort of smuggle stuff from your seven day kit into your drop bag. Be careful not to expose any loopholes here, because Shane on... might listen and and, and we're stuck. <laughs> keep, keep keep the trade secret. I think it's all right. I, I think you're all right. <laughs> you can get a little bit in there. Um, so so, wait a so yeah, you have to go through. A... Is the drop bag available at all checkpoints then and the seven-day bag available at the end of the day? Is that the idea? Yeah. So you you have a, a seven-day bag, which has got to contain everything that you need, all, all your nutrition, all your clothes, all your camp kit. And then you have a drop bag, which is going to be available to you at, at halfway mark every halfway, day. Right. So, so you have to fill that at the end of each day. You have to make sure that your drop bag for the next day is has got everything in it that you that you need um and then that's taken off and, and in theory you meet it at the halfway mark um and off you go so you've got to, you've got two bags to think about um yeah which is a little bit of multitasking which uh, i'm not you know too brilliant at so you go through registration which is you know it's quite arduous it's very rigorous you have a long a long um race director talk from shane um and rightly so about safety and and, and this is and, on the sunday you know, good good sort of yeah yeah it's on the sunday uh and then everyone breaks off for food or you know goes back to wherever they're staying some people are camping most people are in hotels and stuff and then you you start at the break of dawn the next day which is 
in the ruins of the castle in Conway Castle. And again, you arrive to find, you know, f- four, 450 terrified people crammed into the, uh, crammed into the, um, into the ruin, into the castle keep. And, um, yeah, and, and off you go. And it's, um, the way I look back at it, it's a little bit like going to war. I mean, I've never been to war, but it, it definitely felt like once you started, there was no time to, there was no, no time to stop and think and, and, and sort of regroup or anything. You were just constantly on it. And that was exhausting in a, you know, in a really great way, in a challenging way, but it's, it's knackering. You're thinking about your navigation, hydration, nutrition, um, you know, the heat, any variables like that and the cutoffs and the terrain, you know, it's a lot to think about and, and there is no respite from it ever. (laughs) Do you think that's different to other ultras that you run then? Because I mean, for me, speaking personally, when I, 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 I get nervous at the beginning of races and in the lead up like any other person Mm. does, but I tend to find that once the race starts after about 15 minutes, maybe, or sometimes half an hour, like all that it's relief, Mm. all of that kind of anxiety is gone. And it's just going through the kind of process of running now, obviously the more technical and like navigationally demanding the courses, the more you need to be kind of on the ball, but that's the fun bit right i mean it's all of the kind of what if the worry the have i got everything what if i fall over you know that's that's sort of out of the window now it's just like run yeah yeah and and it and it was an amazing experience once you get out of conway and you get up into the mountains and you start you know get getting a a good view and stuff it's amazing and it and and certainly on the first day it's a bit of a crocodile effect anyway so there's not a lot of navigation to be done you know you can always see someone ahead of you and and there's always someone behind you unless <clears> it's claggy. there is a, just a lot to think about unless it's claggy and there was you know went through all sorts of different weather even though it was a really hot day initially there was you know there was quite a lot of clag to start with um but but yeah it was th- those initial worries definitely fall away but if if i was to compare it to i don't know a kind of a, a hundred miler um it it was different it was very different uh, partly because I don't live in the mountains and, you know, although I've done a bit of recceing and, you know, I've done a few mountain races, it's not my natural environment. And so I did think, right, okay, I'm, you know, I'm out of my comfort zone here. I need to watch what I'm doing. And, and, um, you know, and, and I took it in and I enjoyed it. You know, I really loved it, but it was, it was demanding in terms of thinking and, um, not having any time to, to sort of pause and take a picture and reflect or, you know, anything like that. That's all. That was all out the window this time. So from um, a, a technical point of view underfoot, um, you, you you mentioned in the book, actually, and we've we spoken, you, you went up and did uh, a couple of reckeys. Um, mm. We're both now not planning to head up there and do, it rec- do reckeys. Tris is, is all right. very speedy, obviously, and has lots of endurance. And, and I think, again, you'll be able to tag on mm. and, and, and follow folk around. Uh, but so from the nav side of it, mm. I think we're both probably relatively okay. But from a technical point of view, on those uh, on the terrain underfoot, um, how much a, a how much did the recce benefit you, and, and and b how how difficult did you find it? So I did two. Well, I, I went down for one weekend, and I did two different kind of recce's. On on one day, I was on my own, and I. I went and did Crib Gok, which was famously the section that 
scares most people, intimidates most people. It's a you know, it's a and people have died on high knife know, edge. Founded, yeah, yeah. People do. You you do hear stories. Um, so it, it's basically a. It's about a kilometer high. It's a sort of knife edge arete um, that that runs around the first part of the Snowden horseshoe, and. You know, you you, could, you only have to Google it and watch the YouTube videos to to get. Oh, those fisheye lenses are great. Aren't familiar they? with you know people are running on a millimetre <laughs> of rock. Yeah, and and the, the, actually the one that the one that really freaked me out there is there is a, a clip out there of a of this guy who's just frozen. Oh, crack on, freeze! On, it literally starts at the top, and he's on the knife edge, and he's just he's sort of straddling it, and he's clinging. To the to the to the rocks, and his wife is there going, "You'll be all right. You know, you, we can do this. You know, we, we kind of you can't stay here the whole time. You've got to move." Poor guy is absolutely stricken, oh, and and he's not going to move, and he's you know he's locked. And I th- this was the first thing that I'd watched about Kubgok, thinking, "Well, that, that's going to be me." And this this woman is fr- she's recording him, and it goes on for about ten minutes, and then just towards the end, this this guy strolls past him. He goes, you're right, mate. And, he, and his wife goes, no, you know, we'll, we'll get him down. It'll be all right. Guy goes on and his kids follow. And his kids are following on and just, oh, no. you know, like, like a little walk in the park. And I'm watching it thinking, hang on a minute. I thought this was like, you know, really dangerous. So I think it's each to their own. Some people are completely freaked out by it. Others, you know, if you've got a head for heights, it's fine. It's, um, so, so the, a mate of mine, I wanted to do it to kind Rock, of con- a, a mate of mine was, was Rich Hurdle. Uh, has done Dragon's Back and, mm. and, and he, he was coming across Krivgok and uh, a Dutch runner um, I'm, I'm going to tell this right I think a Dutch runner came, came scuttling along the top skipping over the rocks right on the, right on the crest of the ridge went all yeah. the way across it's a mile long isn't it it's not a, 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 an insignificant distance it's quite long and yeah. skipping yeah. all the way across and, no. and Rich who, who we were talking about going up and doing recce he said I'll, I'll do any of it with you but I'm not doing Krivgok again I'm not. I'm not going up there again. So he he was finding it quite difficult. Yeah. So this Dutch runner skipped all the way along this ridge, and Rich is like from rock to rock, three points of contact all the way across, and about three quarters of the way across, this mm-hmm. Dutch runner comes back the other way, um, and and he goes, "Yeah, you're right." And he says, "Oh, forgot to dip in." <laughs> so he he goes all the way back across, <laughs> and before Rich has got to the end, the Dutch runner comes past him again, tiptoeing across the top of the rocks at full pelt, and and takes off. Yeah, I was. Some people, yeah, I have no fear. Um, I, I do, and I tend to sort of respect that. But I mean, I'd read so much or seen so much about the top, you know, this knife edge thing. But but actually, for me, I, I went on my own, and um, it was the it was the the foot of 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 well, I say the cliff that that really freaked me out. So what you're looking at when you get there is you, you've got to get to the top, which is about a mm. kilometer high, and the climb up to the top. It's the, the way I sort of describe it is it's like a a sheer cliff edge that's just been tipped forward slightly. Um, so it's not difficult. It's just really frightening initially. So I, I think my first time I got like 10 meters up and I was freaking out thinking, you know, 10 meters is it's high, isn't it? When you, you know, when you start yeah. climbing something, it's, it's a long way. You're looking yeah. and thinking, well, I've got another 19, 1900 to go. And I remember thinking, it, I was on my own thinking, if I don't do this, it's game over. I'm just, you know, I, I, there's no way that I can do Dragon's Back if I can't climb up. So I just sort of held on to my fear, like a sort of like, you know, in a fist in my stomach and just kept going. Uh, and, you know, and then it gets ridiculous because you're getting sort of 200, 300 meters up and, you know, you just keep going, keep going, keep going. And actually I didn't find the top initially. Once I got to the top, 
it's all right. So there's there's one side of the top which is pretty sheer, and you wouldn't mess around there. And that that's the one that really gives you the sort of heebie-jeebies. The other side is is much more. It's much more sort of an angle. So what you can do is if you're not going to skip along the top, you can use the top like a handrail and just sort of go along on the sort of slightly easier side. Yeah. Um, so. You know, I did that thinking, oh, I've got this nailed, it's all fine. And nobody had told me about the third pinnacle. So there are there are three pinnacles on the on this ridge. The first two are like speed bumps. I mean, they're really nothing. And I was thinking, oh, this is fine. This is great. And then to my eye, the third pinnacle is like a cathedral that sits on top of the sits on top of the pin on, on the on top of the ridge. And you, first of all, you have to drop down onto this sort of spire. Which makes it look even higher, and it and it you know literally gets up to sort of like a crow's nest at the top. And when I did it, bizarrely, there was nobody there. I mean, it was a beautiful day, and there was nobody around that I could follow. So I couldn't figure out how to do it. And so someone said, "Follow the polish. Just always follow the polish because that's the you know the worn part of the rock that people have done." And I found the polish and started climbing up, thinking. And and at one point, you sort of. I climbed around to the right of it and you sort of swing or I swung around and I looked down and it's, it's sheer and it's about a kilometer drop. And I just remember I've never been so scared in my life and my palms were absolutely soaked with, with sweat. And I climbed up the top, got, got over it and got around, finished crib got thinking, well, I had done it because I wanted to conquer my fear and I came off it thinking, well, that was just bloody stupid. Well, how, how is that open to the public? Because it's really, <laughs> really dangerous. And came down thinking, well, I, I know I can do it, but God, yeah, it's not not easy. But the next day I did a, I did a guided recce um, with Raw Adventures who are sort of associated with Dragon's Back and, and a lot of a lot of Dragons in Training go with, with Raw Adventures and, and they're great. And um, uh, I I spoke to um, spoke to them about what I'd done the day before and I'd ex- I said, you know, it's, it's Third Pinnacles quite dangerous isn't it and they, they went, well, no it's all right if you know what you're doing and and I, I explained what i'd done and they said well you you actually went out the kind of the, the mountaineering way um <laughs> rather than you know up up the path and sure enough when i did it on the race there is actually someone that there is a mountain guide that stands at the top of that third pinnacle and sort of shows you the way up which is much easier than the way that i had gone and when i when i realized what i'd done and the risks that i had taken it was pretty sobering actually that that you know you don't mess around in the mountains and sort of hope hope for the best and i i had taken a massive risk without realizing what i'd done um so, and in fact they told me um ross who, who, ross who runs it, he told me that someone someone had done exactly what i had done and stepped out to the right over this huge abyss um quite recently and frozen and got so managed to get their elbow sort of locked into it between two rocks and called um for mountain rescue and had spent an hour and a half sort of dangling over that precipice waiting for someone because they were just so frightened. Oh my God. Um, so, but you know, there is <laughs> at a couple of points on day one and two, there are, there is someone standing are at they the part sketchy of the, bits. The race to kind of, done there. Yeah, yeah. 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 So you don't need to worry too much. I'm, I'm, I'm often aware with it because I write about my crib rock experience and failure as an option and, it, 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 it has freaked people out and I'm very keen to say, look, that was just my experience. A lot of people go off and go, there's nothing to worry about. You know, it's, it's totally fine. Um, so you don't want to listen, you know, you don't want to listen to everyone that goes, oh, it's the most terrifying thing ever because you might be fine. It's just 
but all I would say is, you know, yes, three anchor points, possibly four if you can find it. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, bottom, whatever, whatever you can, whatever you can stick to the rock. Zorb uh, ball. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you know, if, it's it's important to admit if you're you know a huge amateur at this sort of thing, that you know you do have to treat it with some respect. And some people, you know, are professionals and can whisk across that 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 section. Um, yeah, what I would say actually about about the nav and following people is that uh, people who know what they're doing know how to take the lines, and there are a lot of lines to take if you're in contention up at the front. Um, talking those to lines now, yeah. are massively advantageous. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, they're, they're really advantageous, and it was really interesting watching people taking lines, cutting off, you know, big big chunks of time, um, and that there is a mm. lot of that to can be done. So for for people um, listening, I tried- the, the route isn't uh, predefined. You, 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 there is a GPX file that you can follow, but you you have to reach certain points as, as mm. quickly as possible and and there is variation on the routes that you can take mm. so there's leeway there's, it's not as if they're um cutting corners as it were well they are but they're not breaking the rules by doing so mm. no and one of the complications is that some sections are mandatory and other sections mm. you can find your lines and you sort of have to be be on it with the map to so it's the thing that i had to learn on the on the fly was running with my thumb on the map even even when i'm following people um just so that i know where i am at any one time and i was using gpx but it was always really important for me to know mm. where i was uh on the map and that's you know it's not something i do very often so it's quite hard to do um but by day two i got quite into it actually and i was starting to take you know a few a few lines where i thought i could where i thought i could um so yeah, you know there is an advantage to doing it. I wouldn't just rely on the GPX, and also you know they all say don't rely on the GPX mm. because of the weather. If it goes wrong, you're a bit stuffed. Uh, how many people were using devices? Cool. Well, um, sorry. How many people were actually using GPS devices? How so many? handhelds or just watches or? Oh, I mean, I'd say everyone. Um, I don't think there was anyone who wasn't, but I think you are an advantage if you've also got either local knowledge or you've yeah. got the map in your hand and you know. Yeah. You can see you've got, I mean, there are some places where you think, well, I did it once on day two and I felt like Sherpa tensing um, where I was looking at where I had to go. And then I was looking at the map thinking, well, I can choose my own line here and that looks quicker. And it was uh, by, by about, you know, a minute. Um, but, you know, people followed me down. So I felt like, well, know, that could go two ways. Professional. Follow me. <laughs> done, yeah. I didn't ask him to follow me. I was like, are you sure about this, guys? I'm literally, you know, I'm from Sussex. <laughs> yeah, I'm just quit. I've quit. I'm going home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it, well, you know, um, it's all it's all part, part of the game, really. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm more terrified than I was uh, half an hour ago. Uh, so that's good. <laughs> I can see this is going to be somewhat of a different challenge to running around a track. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but it was, you know, it was, it was a really good one. I, I really enjoyed it. I was absolutely gutted about DNF. And so I, I started on, started on day two, pretty dehydrated and it was another cool cauldron of a day. I mean, it was just roasting hot by about seven in the morning and very exposed going up the mountains on, on day two. And, and it was just, it was just a bloodbath. You know, there were people peeling off 
throwing up left, right, and center. And um, the cutoffs got me in the end. I could see that I was really pushed for time and completely heat exhausted. Um, You know, there were streams and and things to sort of dip your head in and and stuff a, a little bit on day two. Um, but it was unusually hot, you know, I think, who knows what it's going to be like again, but, um, yeah, it it was the cutoffs eventually that got me. And then, and then this guy, you know what it's like when you sort of, you're up against it a bit and you fall in with someone who goes, oh, it's all over mate. (laughs) You're never going to make it. Oh no, yeah, yeah. um, the doomsayer, the doomsayer. (laughs) (laughs) But he was kind of, he was kind of right. I'm going down and I'm taking you down um, with me. (laughs) Yeah, it was a bit like that. And, and I was knackered and, uh, you know, I'd really fought and, and there was just no way that I was going to beat these cars because some of the cars are advisory and I was already behind those. And I knew that the next mandatory one was just not really doable. And he said, he said, mate, look, I've, I've wrecked this bit. He said, we could, we could keep going until we get to the mandatory cutoff, but it's in the middle of nowhere. We'll have to wait for, you know, we'll get DNF'd. We'll have to wait for three hours before we get a minibus back to camp. He said, or, we can phone it in a minute. He said, there's a pub around the corner. We can just, oh. we can just go and sit there and have a drink and get the bus back to, and, um, I kind of, I, I kind of caved and I just, okay, it's all over. And we, a couple of other people joined us and we had a sort of weird moment where we all went, is this, and we got off the mountains by this point, but there was just no way that we were going to, going to make it. And so we kind of, we all sort of went, it's over. And we stood there and we all shook hands. And then I think I was the one who, who made the call into, into race control to say we're, we're come and get us from the pub we'll be shit and we, there's a load of us <laughs> in a pub well yeah we we went up we i said to i said we're done i said we're going to the pub and he went that's very wise i mean it was so hot it was ridiculous and um so we plodded to the pub and it was rammed the, with with weeping runners who were who were dnf really? and they were just people just in, in shock i think because you nobody expects the DNF on day one or day two ever. I mean, I, I had gone into it thinking there's, there's no guaranteed outcome here. You know, I might, I like to have thought that I would have got to sort of day four or five or something and something would have happened or, or, or whatever, but <clears throat> I didn't think I'd go out that early. Nobody did, but most people, most people in that, on that year went out then and there were people crying and, you know, just swearing, just staring into the corner, swearing. And um, I remember I had, I had four pints of Coke, and it was about two o'clock in the afternoon and I didn't go for a wee until about 11 in the evening. It was, I was Whoa. so dehydrated and I, it, I kind of look back and think, well, that was probably the right thing to do actually to, to yeah. there was no way. Yeah. That I, Persevering even with, with that level of dehydration probably would have gone sideways. Yeah. Cause and you were probably, the, the you weren't going to get four pints of Coke into yourself whilst running. <laughs> um, no. And of course you'd be losing even more um, liquid out of your body and not weeing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, that could have gone bad. Yeah, it was it, it was the right thing to do because the second half of day two is in a, is really isolated, and if it goes sideways there, you, you're not coming out without some kind of mountain rescue, and it's it's so you know, it's silly to put yourself into that put them in that. Position. So in a in a different in an alternate reality, what would you have done on day mm. one not to put yourself in that position on day two? Obviously, you needed more water. So would you have carried um, more water? What would you have done differently? Yeah, I would have done. I, I might have. I might have gone to five, five actually, because uh, it, it was ridiculously yeah. hot. Yeah, I think so. If I could somehow fit it on, I would have possibly carried one with me just, just to go to five, so that I had yeah. something to cool off with. Because it was just, it was just a sort of body heat, really, that we just got so hot. 
drinking and once it had all been drunk there was nothing left to go so but do you think most people, um, did yeah. you did, did you perhaps not acknowledge how dehydrated you were at the end of that day because presumably you could have drunk more water overnight right you could have just been shoving it inside of yourself and all the salt and everything so i think one of the one of the sort of learning experiences for me was on a multi-day event like this is the race isn't over when you when you reach the finish line on on a day it kind of start it's just the start of it really because you've got the whole experience of of a camp and i got in with about 20 minutes to spare so that's and what 20 20 tent, to 10 at remember. night then 10. so you got in at 20 to 10 at night yeah i think so, so. got in at 20 to 10 mm. in, a, in a mess you know i hadn't eaten anything and drunk anything for about six or seven hours i just kind of pushed pushed on and got around and then i thought right, as soon as you get over the line you think right i've got to sort out my stuff for the next day and i'm leaving at six in the morning so i've got to get it's it six a.m six a.m is the early sharing leave, isn't it yeah I think so. Yeah, I think it, and I just thought I've got to get got to get out. Um, but you in camp, everyone is intense. Of a, I can't remember. I think it's about eight, um, and you don't know. I don't know who who I was sharing with or anything. And so, and I was last in to my tent. So I literally I got in, got my stuff, got into this tent where everyone was asleep, and they'd all done their you know, done their prep. And I was like, I, I don't want to be, the, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be this guy who's, you know, getting his flashlight on and, you know, making all the noise. I just thought I'd just sleep in the middle of the tent. And someone very kindly said, no, there's a space here. There was one guy who was busy. My space in the tent, they're the compartments of, of two. And the one compartment available to me, I could hear the guy being sick. And I just thought, I don't want to be in there. I don't want to be in that compartment. Oh. I'm just going to sleep in the middle. But You've been down the pub all I got a space. That's and, what that was. And then I th- <laughs> <laughs> but but I thought I really thought the campfire. <laughs> no, people, people were in a mess, and I I didn't want to eat. You know what? I had to go in. I walked into my tent. To, his kebabs there. His jeans are all over the floor. He's retching in the corner. Say never again. <laughs> yeah, like a long party night. No, people were in a mess, but I I didn't want to wake anyone up, and I had to eat, yeah. but I didn't want to eat, and you know all that sort of stuff. And I remember setting my alarm thinking, you know, I don't want to, I need as much time as I can in the morning. And I, you know, it's just a rookie error. I'd never set an alarm on my watch before. So I thought I'd set it properly and got up before my alarm went off anyway and uh, went for a wee. And as I came back to the tent, I could hear my alarm <laughs> blaring. And I was thinking, oh, Jesus, I'm, You're that guy. Like, I'm awake. Come on, everyone. Let's, <laughs> let's all get up. Um, and I found that really difficult, really testing, actually trying to get all your stuff ready in the dark. Um, but actually by the end of day two, uh, I don't think there was anyone left in my tent who, who continued the race. Um, everyone Whoa. had DNF'd. Um, it was, it was proper the carnage luxury, that year. You know, um, eight man tent to yourself now. Well, for those who, <laughs> yeah, for those who stayed in, um, but yeah, I mean, I think by the even by the end of day two, I was getting to know people. But that initial getting into a tent with a bunch of strangers, having having done a, an entire day in the mountains, is is mm. quite tough. Um, yeah, but, but you know, it's all part of the experience, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, I mean, it's a brutal format, hey, because of course, the closer you are to cut off times, the less time you have for prep and sleep, and then that puts you mm. at a disadvantage the next day as well. And so it's just yeah. this knock-on effect, right? And obviously you only experienced yeah. two days of the sort of full race and everything, but, you know, can compound mm. that over five nights. And, um, mm. you know, it's a, it's a harder race, quite frankly, if, you, if you, you've been put through less sleep and 
and all that rigmarole of managing all your affairs in the dark every single night with people who are sleeping in a tent. Mm. I, I mean, I expect there's probably an element of familiarity that that comes into it then you get to day two and you get to day three and you sort of know what you're doing yeah but certainly day one was a, was a real shock um you know you get i'm so used to sort of finishing i say so used to but, you know you finish a sort of 50 mile or 100 mile and you can just collapse on the ground you've got three months before your next race you're me. i'm like cool i'll yeah, start next exactly. season <laughs> yeah you can have a, you know you can have a chat you can just unwind but the, it's just all of that is gone you know, you're straight in. It's like, right, what have I got to do next? There's not a moment to, especially mm. if you're coming in late. You really are stacking the, oh, yeah. the odds against yeah. you, aren't you, by um, that yeah. that kind of day-on-day -day attrition of, of you know, I've worked on multi-day yeah. events mm. from, from Land's Enter and Groats for years. And I always have so much respect for those that get in towards the end of the day. Because like you say, they've got all their admin to do. Uh, they've got to sort themselves out. They've got to tiptoe around the camp. And then you've got to get up at, and they typically are the ones, like you say, that go out first thing in the morning because they know the odds are against them. They've got, they need the whole day to go through. Mm. I, I fully expect myself and Tris will start on the first day, but any subsequent days, you know, I'm going to be out at, uh, you know, zero six zero zero, and, and Tris is going to come probably past eating a baguette about lunchtime or something like that. Just, just scooting yeah, past me. Getting into camp. I won't eat a baguette, mate. You're not going to eat a baguette? I don't do carbs. I was hoping you were going to... Yeah, well, no can you bring one for me? For me? <laughs> just just drop it off as you pass. <laughs> well, yeah. you say and that, although, I mean, and I fully expect the plan to be rewritten, but I mean, I I work better early. Mm. Get, me, get me some coffee down and then get out as early as possible. Um, although saying that, I don't know, what's, what time sunrise going to be? It probably will be after six, won't it, right? I, I might be wrong, but I think if you're super quick, you are given a, a departure time. I don't think you can oh, really? choose. I think you go out oh, right. late. Okay. You need well, to think I, I so. I'm not entirely sure. A departure time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think the uh, I think the regulars can uh, you know can can choose to go out early if they need that extra time. But I think if you're at the, I think if you're at the sharp end, uh, you you definitely go out a so, bit a bit later. So you got more time oh, sitting okay. around, you know, swimming. Swimming, doing your feet, playing Xbox, you know. In whatever. terms of kit then, <laughs> whatever you guys in terms do. Of kit, you there is a mandatory kit list. Mm. Um, you can yeah. obviously augment that with, you, with your own personal choices to a degree. Um, run us through kind mm. of what kit worked, um, what kit didn't cut it, what, what you've changed this time. What, what did you learn that, that you changed this time? Um, I, I mean, I think the thing that everyone obsesses about is, is okay. shoes because um the terrain changes massively from day one and two and a bit of three down to very different you know day day six is down through cardiff through sort of cycle tracks and stuff it's not it's very different than than climbing up mountains in in day one so i, I mean i spent a lot of time thinking about it and i went for two pairs of shoes simply because you haven't got yeah. the space really ideally you'd have three i think you know there are sort of you want something for the for the for the mountains and the scrambling you want something for the bogs and you want something for you know that's just going to cushion you all, all the way in on the cycle tracks but you haven't got that luxury you're gonna you're gonna have to go for two um so i went for two pairs of shoes and i put well i only got to use one pair but i don't think i would change that um my my shoe choice had a pair of innovates which were great luggy drained really well which is important because your feet from day two onwards are just soaking you know, there's, there's no Even way in the heat you can wave, avoid, you were, you were wet you feet. can avoid. 
Yeah, even in the heat wave, they're you know they're boggy bits, and you know, and being from the south, you know, I don't want to get my feet wet initially or, or muddy. You know, <laughs> try and avoid Jumping the mud puddles. for as long as possible. Um, so shoes are really important. Um, what would I change? I, I mean, I didn't really get long enough to um, to 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 discover what worked and and what didn't. I mean, I was protected from the sun pretty well. I had um, a sort of a, a SPV. A, t-shirt you know that was mm. reflective and all that sort of stuff and a hat um th- there was nothing that was changed there i i bought a pair of poles which i intended to use from day three and personally i didn't need them for day one i think they would have got in the way uh it's too steep and too technical um there are there's always going to be bits where you think oh i wish i had a pair of poles here but there, were there any of the other enough poles for me on, to on, yeah they were yeah 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 again it's it's, yeah. it's real personal choice um, but That's I think it. I would have just found it a complete pain and put them in I and think, out. I uh, think for me, the bits where you're thinking, I wish I had poles need to outweigh the bits where you're thinking, I'm glad I'm not carrying poles because mm. um, they would yeah. probably trip me yeah. up or be awkward. And for me, that I think um, I think if, it, if, it, if I was doing like a 100-mile mountain race, I'd carry poles with me um, unless mm. the terrain was you know, particularly incompatible with poles, but something like UTMB. But for something where, mm. although, you know, these are long days, but no single day is more than, what, 60 or 70 kilometers, is it? 70K, I think. Um, I think I'll probably no. forego the no. Yeah. I mean, I, I th- they possibly do become quite important from about day four onwards because it's not so technical then. It's just that it's much more a long day in the hills. The sort of yeah. you know, race that, races that we're sort of used to, I suppose, where you could benefit. You know, it's just repetitive movement and you're just slogging your way across yeah. fells. Um, I think probably they will be useful there, but I certainly didn't need them on, on day one and, and day two. I just would have found them annoying. Um, so, but yeah, I didn't really get an awful lot of Sorry, just what I just because we jumped ahead to Kit. I just wanted to go back to um, the sort of multi-day element, and we talked a bit about the experience in camp and obviously dehydration. And this was your first multi-day, and obviously you only got to experience day two as, as the, for the sort of full race and everything. By the way, did you you did you carry on and do the sort of shorter versions each day? No, so so there is an option now where you can if you if you drop out, you can continue and do half yeah. days, I think, and and yeah, yeah. And you can continue all, all the way down to Cardiff, but it it was, but it was very informal, and right. it, so it wasn't a sort of pre-advertised thing. And I remember someone said, "Well, you can you can carry on if you want," and it really sounded like oh, okay, we don't really right. want you here. But <laughs> yeah. and so yeah. I just we'll thought, give you a lift back if, you just have like, to. <laughs> if at all possible. Could you leave now? Um, yeah. But what I was going to ask go. was. What, 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 how did you feel physically sort of starting that second day? I mean, bear in mind, you know, we know you were dehydrated now in retrospect, yeah, but yeah. what was the sort of trepidation yeah. of that? Like, oh, holy shit. All right, here we go again. I've got to do another sort of same again. Uh, y- yeah. I mean, I was sort of slightly in shock, actually. I think most of us were um, at what had happened on day one because it had just been so, so hot and so testing. <laughs> So the, yeah. this com- sort of lethal combination of very unforgiving cutoffs and the heat just wiped people out. But everyone was very mm. capable. It was just the, the two things together were, t- were taking out people from the top of the field to, to the back. Um, so day two, in a way, it was a relief to get out of camp, actually, because I found camp so testing, trying to get every- trying yeah. to eat and I didn't want to eat, trying to get my kid ready, trying not to wake people up. So getting out was was quite nice, actually. It, it, it was all right, but mm. I was knackered. And... I think I 
threw up within about an hour because I was so dehydrated. And I, you know, that doesn't mm. bode well, does it? On a on a long day in the mountains. And what had you gotten um, down exactly? So the did wheels you have, started like, coming off pretty early on day. Sleep, and then you you got, had a breakfast and then head off. Did you? Is that what happened? Uh, in theory. Yeah. So in theory, I get in and I have a lovely big meal and, you know, drink and rehydrate. And, um, but I, I was involved in a traffic accident in 2018 where I was, I was hit by a truck and, uh, in a, in a car. So I was stationary in a car and a 18 wheeler with a driver on Facebook went into the back of me at 40 miles an hour. Oh my God. And it, it basically, it, I ended up with uh, vestibular injuries, which is uh, where you're in your ear, your, your balance is all off key. And it, it, it left me feeling like I was at sea for about six months. You had a real like, hard time getting back coaster, to running at all, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I literally was running sideways. If I, I, if I, I live near, very near the Downslink down here, which is just a disused railway line with a lot of tunnels. And every time you, I ran through a tunnel, I'd find myself hitting the side because my balance was off. Because you need you need three things for 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 balance. You need the, the nerves in the soles of your feet. You need your your sight and you need your vestibular system and you can you can manage without one of those which is how blind people can you know get around but if you lose a second one of those um you, you're just all over the place so because i've got this compromised vestibular system if i close my eyes i'm all over the place and um right. one one of the one of the upshots of this i got back to running and i had to sort of relearn how to get my balance back again um but it leaves me i i tend to get quite travel sick when, when I'm running, which sounds ridiculous, but after about three hours of sort of shaking my head around, um, that, that kicks in. And so it's just an added factor for me to, um, I, so I tend to feel and be quite ill when I'm doing long runs and it's just something that I have to sort of manage, um, as best I can. And it, it's, it's still a, five years on, it's still a work in progress. Um, I just did the North Downs way 50 mm. on Saturday and that was, you know, I finished it, but it was a mess. And I've come away thinking really I, the best way that I can fuel myself is to run on fumes because, you know, it's like if you're on a boat and it's rocking around, you don't have a big meal, do you? Because it's just going to come straight up again. Um, whereas if I can keep things to a minimum, I'm, I'm much better. So the dragon's back, I got in on day one and, uh, and I had been sick as a dog. And if you can imagine coming into camp, feeling seasick, you don't want to sit and have a big meal. And, yeah. and yet I knew that I had to, you know, and it was really stressing me out thinking if I don't eat, it's over. So I remember just eating ice cream, just, just trying to get as much sort of fat in me as I could. <clears throat> um, but you know, that's a very particular issue for me and not many, don't, I don't really know any other runners who get seasick <laughs> when, they're, <laughs> when they're running. It's just, <laughs> it's just an extra thing. Um, but yeah, so it was good to get out again on day two, to be honest. Um, and I, I'm sure I, when I got back in on day two, at the end of day two, I DNF'd, but I got in and actually I found I really enjoyed the camp second day because I'd got to know a few people in the tent and we'd all DNF'd anyway. So it was, a, it was and I, I remember leaving thinking if I'd had lasted, I think that whole challenge of camp life would have, mm. would have settled down pretty quickly, actually. It's just the first day is a bit of a shocker if you've never done it before. So mm. with the, the gap then, so you didn't do Dragons Back last year uh and and you've come back this year no. has that kind of do you feel that there's anything any of the memories have softened or is it just that you feel more prepared now what, what's brought you back obviously unfinished business but what what tipped the balance for you to sign up again yeah well the thing is I, I i wrote a book called failure is an option which is all about taking on 
the world's you know build as the world's mountain toughest race, yeah. mountain race and and um and i didn't complete it the race and, not the book uh, the book's finished. so i was, well the book i was writing the book before before i took on the race so the idea was to do the race you know and be a, be someone who was it was way out of my comfort zone and you would hope finish the race and i remember i remember when it dawning on me that i dnf'd thinking what am i gonna do with this book you know, yeah, no one's going to read a book about about a guy who fails a race, and I. But I got back and I thought about it long and hard, thinking, well, uh, it, you know, it's. I wanted to write a book about being a mid pack runner because I love re- reading running books, but it tends to be about people who win all the prizes, and and it's great and it's really inspiring. But I, there, there was nothing there about mm. people like me, um, and I and I just thought, well, it's it's not uncommon to 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 DNF a race if you're taking on something that is potentially beyond your limit and the the whole the whole idea for the book started with those sort of internet sort of inspirational internet images that you see where you see people standing on a you know a horizon looking out and says there are no limits and you kind of think well there are you know let's Mm -hmm. let's be let's be honest there are limits you know i'm not going to run an 18 minute park run and i'm not gonna you know all, all the things that you know we all have our limits but the only way to find those limits is to set yourself up potentially not to make it because if you if you do make it, then you haven't reached your limit. Um, mm. So, so to answer your question, I, you know, I thought the, the the title "Failure is an Option" sort of made me laugh, and then I thought about it. I thought, well, no, it is. It should be an option if it should it should be there if you're taking on something that is potentially harder than you can you can manage or beyond your capabilities. But the upshot of publishing a book called "Failure is an Option" is everyone now thinks of me as the the guy who DNFs. Oh no. And, um, so I see people, I meet, meet people on races and I've read your book. I loved your book. You know, do, do you think you're finished? <laughs> and, you know, which is, is really what you want to hear when you're kind of doing well. Do you think anyone's right? even interested in reading a book from you that's about kind of, you know, breaking limits and realizing that, you know, you, anything is possible. And uh, since you're not, since you're the DNF guy yeah. now, we just want another sequel where it's like, I want to learn about what this failure was like. Exactly. Russian <laughs> learning again. Yeah, it's. I mean, I don't mind. I kind of sort of take it on the chin because I think you know sometimes people get very ashamed about DNFing and they don't want to talk about it. And I kind of think you know, there's, there's, if you've given it your best and you know you've learned from that experience, then there, there's no shame in it at all. It's I mean, just it, a stepping it stone. Doesn't need to be a self castigation, <laughs> but I think DNFs are the best opportunity to learn. Just they, they've my my DNFs yeah, have improved yeah, yeah, my yeah, running so much because I've had to go back and figure it out again. You know, so yeah, yeah, you do. You go yeah. back and 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 you work it all out. So, so it it, it is a bit weird. Like p- people kind of coming past, going, "Oh, I'm surprised <laughs> to see you this far up in the race." And <laughs> that's where your poles can be useful. Just jab the do much. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So I, I kind of had thought if I come back to Dragons Back, I don't want to make a big song and dance about it. So you know, here I am talking to you guys on a podcast about about coming back but I, but I really don't because i'm very open-minded about it um you know yeah i'd love to finish this race but it i know how hard it is and having only done you know 1.6 of of the race so far i've got a long way to go to to get to the end but um i've i'm coming back because i feel like i had i learned from the first experience i learned a lot so i feel i'm in a better place but you know not, not yeah. ideal because i'm still going to get travel sick within 30k but um I'll give you my best shot. Well, we will see you oh. on the start line. Yeah, yeah, best of luck. And every night, and every in night camp. in camp. Yeah.
Well, I see Tris on the start, every, and that was it. <laughs> every night in camp, every pub on the route. Yeah, I'll try not to wake you up. Oh, <laughs> uh, Matt, that was yeah. I'll be the guy. The only pub that's allowed is in is in Cardiff. Exactly. Right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Matt. Thanks so much for coming well, on. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Uh, that was good fun. Thank you. And yeah, like we say, we will see you in in Conway um, at the start of the race in September, and. Um, Please do yes. kind of, if people are listening uh, and you've got any questions about the Dragon's Back, Matt, you're on social media. Um, we'll, we'll stick up yeah. the link in the, in the notes or the, the, the social media stuff we do. And if, if people have got any questions, if, if you're a newbie or you've got any um, points that you want to ask, uh, please you know, tag Matt in the posts or, or, or message Matt direct and stuff. He's, he's got more of experience than we have. Um, and I'm sure he'd be happy to help. So um, yeah, keep, keep, keep your chin up, keep going um it's what i got it wrong last time massively i was like um i told tris we had like 11 days to go or something it's about 15 weeks at the minute i think something like that isn't it um yeah something like that is i haven't it, done it in days it and weeks and weeks. Hours okay, that still doesn't sound i don't know how many sleeps long, it is until dragon's back i'll work <laughs> it out soon but uh, right well th- thanks again mate well <laughs> thank you Cheers, guys. Thanks, for having me. thanks for listening all right thanks everyone Bye-bye. bye bye Thank you for listening to this episode of the Trail and Error podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to like, subscribe, and most important of all, share it with your friends and your family. Also, if you have any guest suggestions or suggestions for features that you would like to see on the Trail and Error podcast, please get in touch with us via our social media channels at trail underscore and underscore error underscore UK. It makes more sense when it's written down, I promise you. Oh, and we're on Facebook too. See you next time. Thanks for listening.